and I'm grateful for so many of the women here who are a blessing to our church, who shape uh, our ministry um, and give life and share love and uh, teach the truth of Christ in our life groups, kids ministry, student ministry, here on Sundays. God, it is uh, amazing to see uh, the Lord work through the many different women in our church. Um, I'm really grateful too um, for the different kinds of moms. We, uh, we are uh, the parents of an adopted child. Um, and certainly as I look in the faces of our biological children, I can see the way they reflect their mom. Uh, but even in our adopted child, uh, who's from China, um, it, she doesn't look a lot like Meg, uh, but still she has shaped her life and uh, I, can, I can see Meg's influence on her in so many ways. And so uh, really grateful uh, for all of you ladies out there and the ways that you pour into our church and bless our community. Um, we're going to, I uh, hope you feel celebrated and honored today, we are going to uh, really stretch ourselves for Mother's Day. Meg wanted everybody to go out to eat at a restaurant. Normally we top out at like Chick-fil-A, um, but we're actually all six of us going to go to a real restaurant today. So uh, yeah, it is not going to be cheap, but um, it's, it's, uh, it definitely will be different and uh, hopefully we will survive. But, um, but I do hope you guys have a great day. And uh, what we're going to do today is quite a bit different. Um, if you have been around for a while, um, you know that, that the way I do things this morning will be quite different um, from, we, from what we normally do. Um, and if you're new here, please know that this is not what we normally do uh, as far as the sermon goes. Uh, normally what we do is called expositional preaching. You may have heard that phrase before, expositional preaching. It's sometimes called expository preaching, but that sounds a little bit too much like suppository, and so I prefer <laughs> expositional preaching. Um, but expositional preaching relates to preaching in such a way that the main point of the message is the main point of the text. So last week, I preached from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and I came to that text not with my own message to preach from that text, but in expositional preaching, I'm letting the text set the agenda for the sermon. I'm trying to preach its message um, as, as opposed to having my own message and then finding a scripture that works for it. I'm trying to understand the scripture and then preach, preach its message through the sermon. So the text sets the agenda. Um, we, we just did it last week with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. We're going to start a series Next week, Lord willing, on Revelation chapters 19 through 22, we're just going to work our way through those four chapters and let what the text says set the agenda for what the messages are about. That's what we normally do. Um, but today, we're sort of in between sermon series. Um, I, we just finished up the series on the Apostles' Creed. As I said, we're going to start the series on the book of Revelation next week. So this Sunday's sort of lost in between these two sermon series. And so this isn't so much an expositional sermon as it is a pastoral sermon. Um, I'm just sharing with you guys um, what's on my heart, um, something that I think is, is really relevant to who we are and what we're going through as a church and as a society. Um, and it's somewhat relevant to Mother's Day. I'm going to speak on community and relationships. Um, and mothers really, for us, make our first relationship. Um, as soon as we came into existence, we had a relationship with our mom. Our first community was between ourselves 
and our mom inside of her womb. So this is somewhat relevant. I'm trying to twist this to make this work, okay? <laughs> um, nevertheless, I want to start this off sharing a quote with you, and it's this. More Americans are bowling today than ever before, but bowling in organized leagues has plummeted in the last decade or so. Sociologist Robert Putnam wrote those words in 1995. It was then that he published a groundbreaking book on the decline of community engagement in the United States. And in the book, he documented research that showed fewer and fewer people were voting, less and less people were going to church, and furthermore, civic organizations like the Boy Scouts of America and the Red Cross and Lions Club and Shriners, these sorts of classically American institutions were all shrinking, shrinking in membership and member involvement. But again, the data point that struck Putnam as the most intriguing and the most telling was that more Americans were bowling than ever in 1995, but bowling in organized leagues had plummeted. To be precise, Putnam reports that between 1980 and 1993, the number of people who bowled annually was up 10%, but the number of people in bowling leagues tanked by 40%. And so Putnam titled his book, Bowling Alone, The Collapse of American Community. Well, I want to suggest to you that what's happened more broadly within our country is exactly what's happened within the church. Despite our calling to be the body of Christ, despite our calling to be the family of God, despite our calling to exist in the fellowship of the Spirit, we are just as isolated from one another as the rest of the country, and our communal life has collapsed just as much and far too often, we are following Christ alone. So this morning I'm asking, what difference does community make for our lives? In other words, why do we need to engage in relationships, deep spiritual relationships? Why do I need people? Why do I need the body of Christ, the church? Well, I've just got a couple of things for us first. In relationship, we experience God differently. You may say it better. In relationship, we experience God uniquely. Or I think, because here's the thing. Think about this. We were created by relationship for relationship. So all of us here are the fruit of the relationship between our parents. The source of our existence is their intimacy, their union, their relationship. And it's one of those things, if that's what we were made by, a relationship, it's also what we were made for, to be in relationship. This is why God says in Genesis chapter 2, before he created the second human, it is not good for man to be alone. In other words, it's not good for man to be isolated. It's not good for man to be disconnected from other humans, and so he creates, he creates the second human, the woman. Now, this does not mean that we will all be married, nor does it mean that we have to be married in order to be 
relationally fulfilled. We know that's not true. Jesus himself was not married. The Apostle Paul, best we, cannot, we can tell, was not married for at least the majority of his life. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle advocates for singleness and for a life of celibacy. So in Genesis chapter 2, God does not say it's not good for man to be unmarried. He says it's not good for man to be alone. We were created by relationship for relationship. We were not created in isolation for isolation, just the opposite. By relationship for relationship. So to not be deeply, widely, happily connected in community is to deny our humanity. It's to deny our origin story. We were created by a relationship between mom and dad, and we were created for more relationships with friends and neighbors and coworkers and siblings and parents and grandparents and classmates and church members and bowling partners and so on. There's a unique way that we experience the grace of life and fulfill who we're made to be when we're in community like that. So thus far, I've thought with you about this sort of on a human level, but think with me also for a moment on a theological level. So one of the central beliefs of Christianity is that there is one God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So even within God himself, there exists an eternal relationship of love between the Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's in the image of this communal God that we were made. So not only are we the fruit of the relationship between our parents, but we are each the bearers of the image of the communal God. There's a children book that I've used with each of my children to teach them about God. And I'm working through this book right now with our two-year-old and my seven-year-old daughter. It was actually written and illustrated by a couple of my friends. The book is simply called God Is. And it's about God's attributes, his characteristics. The first attribute it lists is that God is almighty. The second is that God is the owner. Then God is eternal. And the fourth one, the way they put it, is that God is never alone. You can see this uh, book and the way it's illustrated and some of the text there. You can also see the furry hot pink chair that I sit in <laughs> with my two daughters as I work through this book with them. The chair is also way too small for me, but I try to make it work and it is absolutely precious. Um, but you think about this. God has never been alone nor will he ever be alone because he exists in an eternal relationship of love, the Father, Son, and Spirit. And each of us have imprinted upon us the image of the three-in-one, never-alone God. So not only are we denying our humanity if we fail to live in community, we are denying our Creator. And we are failing to image him to the world the way he designed us to, because there's a unique way that we experience God. There's a unique way we experience God's world when we're in community that we can't have if we live in isolation. Our God, whose image we bear, is never alone. He exists in an eternal relationship of love. 
This is why we can say that God is love. You know this well-known saying from the Apostle John's first epistle, God is love? We can say God is love because he has never not been loving. The Father, Son, and Spirit exist in an eternal relationship of love. So by contrast, the God of Islam, they cannot say that about their God. Because in eternity past, Allah existed in isolation. There was a time when he did not love. Allah is dependent upon creation in order to love. He's dependent upon creation in order to express love. That is not true of our God. He has always been loving within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the isolated God of Islam and strict monotheism of Orthodox Judaism is not love, it is judgment. But our God is a God of love. He has always been and he always will be never alone. And he has created us to be the exact same way. You know, I've mentioned to you guys before that sports were a big part of my life growing up. Playing sports was a big part of my life growing up. And I've often wondered why. Like, why do these games matter so much to me? What about them made me love them so much? And there's many reasons I know, but one of them, without doubt, is the community, the connection, the relationship that these sports offered to me. The intimacy, the bond we shared, even, was such that we often expressed it even physically. So you think about, for example, football team captains walking to the center of the field for the coin toss, holding hands. These big, burly, tough football players holding hands with one another. Something they would likely never do in any other context. Or rough and tough hockey players hugging each other after a victory. These tough guys lose teeth, but as they embrace one another, jumping up and down, you can see the huge gaps in their smile. <laughs> as they express their love physically, or even baseball players, after a great hit, slap one another on the rear end. I mean, if we saw these people touching one another like this outside of the sports arena, we would think they're lovers. But it's deemed appropriate on the sports field because they do love one another. They are communing together with such profundity that they shamelessly touch one another's bodies in otherwise inappropriate ways. Now, please understand, none of this was erotic. None of this was sexual. It was just love. But you see, that's a big part of what draws athletes and fans to be a part of a team. Because we all, whether you're an athlete or not, we all were made for intimate, meaningful connection with other humans. We were made by relationship for relationship. We bear the image of the communal God. And when we live out our communal nature, we experience God in a unique way. And we live fulfilling lives in a unique way that we could not if we were isolated. So I've got to ask, what's your level of relational engagement? Are you engaging in substantive, meaningful, purposeful, loving relationships? 
friends, with fellow church members, with family? Are you cultivating deep, rewarding relationships, living out who you were made to be in community? Or is there distance? Is there hesitation to move towards whomever, limiting yourself, hiding yourself from the community that God's calling you to? Because here's a pastoral concern I have as I evaluate our culture and our church. Instead of connecting in real life, face-to-face, physically proximate, healthy relationships, we are too often substituting in less personal, less physically close, less honest relationships through different forms of media and technology. Now, according to my preaching professor, that sentence was way too long. So I apologize, and I'll read it again. (laughs) Instead of connecting in real life, face-to-face, physically proximate, healthy relationships, we are too often substituting in less personal, less physically close, less honest relationships through different forms of media and technology. Certainly, that's the truth with social media, but also television and the connection we make with people on different shows. So, for example, my wife's favorite influencer on Instagram is a woman named Daryl Ann Dinner. We actually haven't watched her in a while, but she at least used to be Meg's favorite. Daryl Ann talks about fashion and her family and eating at Chick-fil-A and whatever. Well, Daryl Ann constantly refers to her 1.4 million followers as her best friends. And you know, we can have a debate over what constitutes a best friend. Meg and I actually have this argument often, like what is the nature of a best friend? What are the necessary qualifications of a best friend? But I can tell you this, Daryl Ann from Dallas, whom you have never met, and her nearly one and a half million followers are not your best friends. But you see, that's the capital this influencer is operating on. People want connection. People were made for connection, and Daryl Ann is not special in doing that. TV show hosts do this. TV show characters, celebrities do this. But my pastoral concern is that too often we're getting a hit of relational connection through these different forms of media, but they're not the real thing. They're really not the depth and intimacy that we were made for. It just can't happen through a screen. Another theological point that's highly relevant here is the incarnation. When God became a man through the person of his son, you know, Jesus was not live streamed to the world. Jesus was not broadcast over the airwaves. No, Jesus put on flesh and he dwelt among us. He was with his disciples. He traveled with them, ate with them. He ministered to them directly, physically, tangibly, intimately. Jesus showed up. And he showed us the true way to be human. And that includes connecting with others, relating with others in a way that just can't happen through a screen or over the airwaves. Now, look, of course, I'm not saying all social media is bad. I'm not saying all TV personalities are bad. I'm not saying all gaming communities online are bad or that all relationships created online are bad. But I am saying let's check your level of relational engagement. 
are you participating in substantive, meaningful, purposeful, loving relationships with friends, with fellow church members, with family? Are you cultivating deep, rewarding relationships, living out who you were made to be in community, or is there distance? Is there hesitation? Are you limiting yourself, hiding yourself from the community God's calling you to? What difference does community make for our lives? In other words, why do we need to engage in deep spiritual relationships? First, in relationships, we experience God differently. Before I get to the second point, I got to make note. This hit me earlier. This sermon is an extrovert's dream. <clears throat> You're welcome, guys. I am introverted more so, and so I am preaching to myself this morning. Uh, maybe one day we'll have a message on solitude and silence, and that'll really scratch the itch for the rest of us. But for now, secondly, in relationships, we encourage one another. In relationships, we experience God differently. In relationships, we encourage one another. All right, so you may be thinking, okay, CT, I'm following you. We were made by relationships, for relationships. We were made in the image of the communal God. We can't be fully human apart from robust engagement in community. However, here's the thing. For anyone who's been in relationship for like five minutes, for anyone who's been in community for like five minutes, it does not take long till you find out this is hard. And people get hurt. You get hurt really badly. A friend betrays you. A spouse yells at you, a parent manipulates you, a roommate lies to you, a boss deceives you, a coworker cheats you, a church member slanders you, a pastor disappoints you, and we could go on and on and on with all of our painful experiences when we try to connect with other people. I tried. And these experiences can leave us feeling shame and sadness and very often fear. Specifically, the fear of trying to be in community again. I cannot tell you how often I hear this story related to people's experience in church. Somebody says, I used to go to church, but there was hypocrisy and I felt judgment. I used to go to church, but there was greed and I felt betrayed by the leaders. And after people experience this relational pain, they very understandably are afraid. They are fearful to re-engage. And this happens in relationships and communities outside the church as well. We get hurt and we walk away because I'm not doing that again. But here's the truth. Yes, we are broken in relationship. But we are also healed in relationship. Yes, we are hurt by others in community, and it can be incredibly painful, but we are also healed by others in community, and it can be incredibly restorative. After we get hurt, we can be tempted to withdraw, we can be tempted to shut down, to isolate, to cut ourselves off from community, because that's where the pain comes from. But that's the paradox. That's the irony, because the same place where we got hurt is the same place where we find healing, in relationship, in community with other humans. That's why we're saying here, in relationship, yes, we discourage one another. In relationship, yes, we hurt one another, but also in relationship, 
we encourage and are the instruments of God's redeeming hands to bring healing to one another. So let's think about this. I was reflecting on this in relation to the metaphor of the human body for the church. So in scripture, our community is likened to the body. We are called the body of Christ. So I was trying to think, when is the time when the body hurts itself? Similar to the way that we as different members of the body of Christ sometimes hurt one another, what's a way that the physical body hurts itself? And here's the one that came to me. When we bite our own tongue, I'm not talking about the metaphorical way of biting your own tongue, like I almost said something stupid, but I bit my own tongue. No, I'm talking about literally biting your own tongue. You know what I'm talking about? You have two different members of the one body, the teeth and the tongue, and every so often the teeth bite the tongue, and man, it hurts. Like we're sitting around the dinner table with our kids, I look over at one another, one of them, and out of nowhere they're crying, and I'm like, what's wrong, buddy? I bit my tongue. It hurts. Normally, the teeth and tongue work together great. Normally, they get along just fine, but sometimes the teeth hurt the tongue. Now, imagine on one of these painful occasions, the tongue says, you know what? I'm done. This has happened too many times. It hurts way too bad. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm done with the body. And of course, if that happened, the tongue would shrivel up and die. Because the tongue is a member of the body. Its identity, its source, its purpose is all wrapped up in its connection with the rest of the body. So what does the tongue have to do? It's got to hang in there. Despite the pain, despite the riskiness, despite the fear of this happening again, potentially, the tongue has got to stay in there, close to the teeth, and healing will eventually come. Now, in this imaginative scenario, do the teeth need to be held accountable? I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> but I've worked my way into such a hole. Do the teeth need to be held accountable? Absolutely. Do we need standards for how we treat each other? Absolutely. Do we need a process of confrontation and restoration? Absolutely. And we have all of that in Scripture. But for the tongue to simply run away, for the tongue to simply say, I'm out of here, I'm done with community, I'm done with the church, I'm done with people, if that happens, the tongue will shrivel up and die. And the same is true with us. If we give up on people, if we give up on community, if we give up on the church, then we'll never really get the healing that we're looking for, and we will fall short of God's purpose for our lives. Is this easy? No. Confrontation and restoration and forgiveness and bearing with one another, enduring through relational strain is not easy, but it is worth it. And God will be honored. So what difference does community make for our lives? Why do we need to engage in deep spiritual relationships? First, in relationship, we experience God differently, uniquely, in a way that we couldn't otherwise in isolation. And secondly, in relationship, despite discouraging one another, we also encourage one another. But I don't want this message 
to simply be a call to community. I want this message to also be a call to Christ. Because Jesus is the gracious Savior who laid down our life, his life, for our sin. Jesus is the sovereign Lord who now rules over even death and the grave. He is a tender shepherd who cares for us, who tends to us, even our relational wounds. And when you trust in him, the most important kind of relational reconciliation happens. When we trust in Jesus, our relationship with God is reconciled and we are brought into the fellowship of the Holy Trinity. The Father adopts us. The Son befriends us. The Spirit is present with us. So this message is not simply about come to community. No, it is ultimately come to Christ. In Him, there is no alienation. There's reconciliation between you and God. In Him, there is no more condemnation. There's forgiveness from God to you. Receive this reconciliation. Receive this forgiveness that was purchased on the cross that flows from his sacrifice for you. At the same time, to be united to Christ is to be united to the body of Christ. Jesus and the church are a package deal. God is not just calling us to be followers of Jesus. He's calling us to be a part of a movement of followers of Jesus. God is not just calling us to get saved and experience personal transformation. He's calling us to join the redeemed community who are showing the world a way to do relationship differently. He's calling us to be a part of the body of Christ who is different. The tongue and the teeth are different. The eye and the pinky toe are different. But different as we are, different gifts, different looks, different backgrounds, different experiences, different wealth, different education, different jobs, different as we are, we are one body in Christ. And he is calling us to engage, to play our part. Yes, it's a call to community. It's also a call to Christ who calls us into community. This morning, we sang a song, a church song. It had a word that I'm sure 90 plus percent of us have no idea what it means. You guys remember, we sang, come now found. And it mentions raising our Ebenezer. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge? <laughs> it's the only Ebenezer that I'm familiar with, but hey, it's church. And sometimes we say words that I don't know what's going on, so I'll just go with it. Here I raise my Ebenezer. <clears throat> Ebenezer is a Hebrew word that relates to a stone of memorial, a milestone, a mile marker. The way we say it in our language is putting a stake in the ground, saying this is a moment of decision. This is a moment of remembrance when I'm recommitting myself to who God called me to be. And I wonder if such a day is for you as it regards committing your life to Jesus and committing your life to the body of Jesus, his community, his church. What's the next step for you? Do you need to recommit to making corporate gathered worship a more regular part of your weekly rhythm? What's the next step for you? 
Do you need to reach out to us and let us help you connect in a life group, a smaller group of believers where you can really be known and know others? What's the next step for you? Or is it that there's conflict between you and a fellow believer that you need to press into? Has there been division that you've ignored and avoided and just gotten used to this person not being in your life? What's the next step for you? Raising your Ebenezer, saying, here I am, Lord, I belong to you. My life belongs to you. My future belongs to you. I'm going to take my steps into the future in light of your lordship and your grace in my life. What's the next step for you as you walk away from the Ebenezer that is this morning? following Jesus and engaging in community. My hope is that we would resist the isolation and disconnection that so often is plaguing our culture and that we would experience the fullness of life in Christ and life in the body of Christ. I pray it would be so for you and for me in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, let's stand as we respond to God's word to us this morning, and I will pray for us. Father in heaven, we are grateful this morning to gather under the sound of the gospel. God, we thank you for the glad tidings of Jesus, that he came and he dwelt with us, embodied in flesh, in person. God, we thank you that he drew near to seek out, to save, to commune with, to relate with the most broken amongst society tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, the impoverished. God, we thank you for the heart of Christ that is to be close to the untouchable, that is to share love with the unlovable. God, ultimately, that's all of us. Yes, we're broken in community, but we're also broken before you. We've broken your law, we've acted against your word, and so we come before you grateful to hear the gospel spoken into our lives. There is reconciliation. There is no more condemnation. There is freedom in Jesus. There is wide open access into the family of God. We can be adopted by the Father. We can be born again into the family. God, thank you for this good news. Father, we pray that this reality, this truth could be lived out amongst us not just in nice sounding messages, not just in slogans we put on t-shirts or stickers on the wall. God, may it be lived out in the nitty gritty, difficult conversations of everyday life. God, we pray that our conflicts, our struggle, our fears, our shame would all be overcome by the power of your Holy Spirit that truly here we would experience the bond of peace and the unity of the Holy Spirit. God, may we experience the fellowship of love that's likened to even what you have amongst yourself, Father, Son, and Spirit. God, we are grateful this morning for the women who have given us life.
God, we thank you for them, their struggle in giving birth to us. We thank you for them, their wisdom and love and counsel to us. And God, we pray that they would feel loved and feel honored and feel cared for and feel connected in all that we do with them and for them today. God, as we look around this world, we are grateful for the communion of saints that we are part of. But also, God, as we look across the ages, the matriarchs and patriarchs in the past, Lord, we know you've been faithful. And so as we close this morning, we sing of your faithfulness. We sing of your love, confident that you'll continue to be with us as we walk into the future.